When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Sailor. And Taylor, this weekend was an eventful one in Buffalo. First off, we want to just wish a happy pride to everybody who celebrated over the weekend. And secondly, we want to talk a little bit about the championship-winning Buffalo Bandits who brought home the NLL Championship in Game 3 on Saturday night in a huge commanding victory against Colorado. It was an awesome game. I had the pleasure of going to the game, and I also want to give a huge thank you to the Bandits slash Sabres, that whole crew there, for inviting my band Slow Animals to play at the Party in the Plaza. I got to tell you, being there for a packed Party in the Plaza brought back all the feels from the playoff runs from 06, 07, 05, 06, you know, and goddamn, I just got to say, I can't wait until next year when we get to have those when the Sabres are in the playoffs, but a huge Victory for the Bandits. They absolutely kicked ass. Dane Smith ended up picking up the MVP of the finals in this one. And all in all, Taylor, it was a ton of fun. Did you manage to catch any of the game? Oh, yeah. I watched the whole game. Yeah. Nice. Far from a far from a box lacrosse expert, but pretty, uh, pretty big beatdown, honestly. 13 uh, to 4. Yeah. Yeah. And it's wild because, like, we all know that lacrosse is a significantly higher sport, scoring sport than hockey. But it was, like, the end of – they scored at the – 0.1 seconds left in the first quarter. It was only 2-1. They, they only made it 2-1. And then it was getting close to halftime, and it was still like 3-1 or something. Like, it was insanely low scoring, but the floodgates, like, super opened up for the Bandits in the third quarter and fourth quarter. And, damn, that was exciting. And it's, it was it's cool. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to, I don't know, after, like, losing two straight years in the finals, including the Colorado last year, to just have, like, a cathartic uh, beatdown like that is it's nice. And it was a party in the arena, too. Let me just tell you. First of all, it was really cool. We had tweeted it out. The Sabres, along with the Bills, though, too, were in attendance for the Sabres. There was general manager Kevin Adams, head coach Don Granado, captain Kyle Opozo, and probably future assistant captain Alex Tuck in the building for it. A handful of Bills were there, too, including Kair Elam. And, I mean, man, those atmospheres at those games just – I hadn't been to a Bandits game in a while. Admittedly, I hadn't gotten – I had, this was my first one this season that I had been to. Um, I was there in 08, the night that they had won the championship then, which was really cool. But our pal TJ Luckman, who had filled in for Slow Animals that, uh, that night, we ended up all going to the game after. And he had made a great point that – lacrosse is what makes it so cool and the the environment so cool is that it's essentially like the in a way like the action of hockey with the arena atmosphere of an nba game Hmm. which i think is a really nice kind of balance there you know like it's very fun like i mean the chance like that's the thing when you think about the sabers there's really no like go to obviously we have our let's go buffalo and everything like that but with the bandits there's so much you obviously have like the box chant when guys are going into the box they have what's he got nothing there's there's just so many of these 
specific bandits cheers and and the promos that they did too i thought were really good too like you know between the whistles and everything like that when there were tv timeouts a lot of uh the the crowd engagement i mean all in all the the game presentation was just so much fun it, it was fantastic a great environment to be in it was a packed house i, I don't think they they had a full sellout but i know they were at least at seventeen thousand. i'm pretty sure maybe they even got up to 18 so all in all Really great experience. Shout out to the Bandits. Such a fun time. I think this just means that next year we're going to have to maybe go catch some games, Taylor. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're always a good time. And they're, you know, they're pretty inexpensive compared to like Sabres tickets or Bills tickets. So. For sure. And they're pretty much always on weekend nights, which is a good time. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm down. yeah, I also saw, and I know this is an example of how ridiculous, not ridiculous, but how different scoring in lacrosse is. I saw that Dane Smith broke the playoffs record for points. He had 49 points in six games. Insane. Pretty good. I, what did he, and I think in the finals alone too, he had something crazy like, I want to say like 21 or 22 points in three games in the finals. Wild. That's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was nuts. And it was also huge too that the Bandits ended up getting Josh Byrne. Oh, it was 23 points in the final series too for Dane Smith. 23 wow. points in three games. But huge thing that ended up, I think, propelling the Bandits here was getting Josh Byrne back for this last one as he was out with a concussion. He comes back and obviously you could just tell they were dominating. And oh my God, man, the finesse of some of these guys and the skill moves, it was multiple times just you just, audibly start laughing at, at how ridiculous some of the stuff is that these guys are able to do at such high speed. So. Yeah. So I haven't really thought about lacrosse in a while. Obviously this is different than the rest of the lacrosse you see in the world. It's box lacrosse. So it's, it's kind of like a combination of hockey and lacrosse, but like Western New York, uh, I used to think this all the time in high school, like we're better at lacrosse than we are at any other sport. And that includes hockey just sure. because partially because not as many places in the country play lacrosse even compared to hockey so even though there's not really any reason for that like theoretically lacrosse should be bigger like in places that are warmer weather you can play outside all year round and all that Mm -hmm. i don't know i actually this hasn't caught on enough yet but it's it's i was gonna say it's funny because we we went to a pretty small high school but both of us went to school with multiple division one lacrosse players uh a guy that we went to school with two guys actually were like professional lacrosse players younger than us. I had three in my grade that played division one lacrosse. And like, that's such a, it's, it's weird. Cause I don't think about it a lot, but it's huge in Western New York compared to like the rest of the world. Like we didn't have three division one athletes and all the other sports combined. Yeah. At time. Well, and it's interesting too. I was actually thinking about this and I'm sure there's probably a, a very logical explanation, which is just the fact that, more players are able to play in like the field lacrosse or whatever the other kind of it is called. But I do find it to be kind of interesting that box lacrosse is kind of the mainstream form of lacrosse in the U S or, you know, like the NLL is bigger than I think, is it the MLL is the equivalent PLL PLL, but the NLL is much bigger, much more like mainstream notoriety, but there's really no, at least to my knowledge, and I could be totally wrong here, but like youth leagues are in like high school, like it's played in that sense. You know, I, I just kind of found that to be interesting that the more you would think that the more mainstream version of the sport would be the one that you would kind of bring kids up through and develop them through. But that really isn't the case. Yeah, because isn't box lacrosse just made up by the NLL? Is it? That could like be. It was never played that way. It was, I, I, I might be making that up, but it's always been an outdoor sport since like the beginning of time. It was never five on five. It was never all short sticks. 
So I don't know. I, I think that's part of it that the real, like, quote unquote, real lacrosse rules are not the box lacrosse rules. Mm, mm. This is great. If anybody's like a huge lacrosse fan listening to this, be like, oh my God, what are these two idiots talking about right now? So, with that being said, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about some stuff that we do know about and a little bit of shift to more negative news here, unfortunately. But the Amherst playoffs run has unfortunately concluded, folks, as they were knocked out by Hershey in the conference finals. However, Major kudos to this Amherst team taking it even a step further. Now, this is back-to-back playoff runs that they've been able to go on here playing hockey in June. I mean, that in and of itself, I think is an accomplishment and is a testament to the talent that we have on that team and really coming up through the ranks with the Sabres here. So Taylor, you know, I don't think we need to get into the specifics too much. Obviously it was a very unfortunate loss one to nothing. They really just weren't able to kind of have the juice to, you know, get over the top and be able to to force the decisive game seven there. But rather than dwelling on that, let's talk about the big picture here. I would like to hear what you think about this run that the Amherst went on and really some of the, you know, there's a lot of guys who may be in contention for roster spots next year on this Amherst team as well. And so just talking about the, the bigger picture here, I guess, what are your thoughts on that now in light of the Amherst season coming to an end? All right. So I should say before that, that I was wrong. Box lacrosse was invented in the 1930s in Canada. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. Interesting. More on that later. Not really. So yeah, I think this 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 particular Amex run has been really interesting because so it's been nineteen, but like also this is the probably since that time the most prospects, most serious prospects they've had uh, on the roster at the same time. And even by the end, they, you didn't see him as much. But Savoy and Ryan Johnson being there too to join Kulik and Rosen and Lucas Rusek, who seems like he might be a real prospect. Uh, that's, it's really interesting. Like it, it, I mean, it's good for all of them. That's you get to play in a real league, a real deep playoff run. And obviously it didn't go the way they wanted, but you know, there's no shame in losing six games in the conference finals. I think it's it ultimately, it has to be good for them. Just like it was good for the guys in 04. No, totally agree there. I think that there's a lot of positives to take from it. And like you said, I mean, there's some real players here, you know, and realizing it now too we were actually just talking about this prior to recording that we really didn't even get a chance to talk about ryan johnson signing his elc so johnson didn't appear in any of the games because that would have burned a year on his elc so he signed a two-year deal now assuming he will probably most likely be reporting to rochester next year but i think they'll give him a shot to maybe make the team out of camp here if he shows that he's ready i do think that some time in rochester will ultimately serve him one way or another but i think there is something to be said that it feels like that bottom pair is pretty up for grabs right now. I don't think that there's any sure things right now. Maybe, I mean, the closest thing to it is Ilya Labushkin. He'll obviously be on the roster next year, but who knows? I mean, maybe their plans are going to change. Maybe they have different thoughts on that. I know when we had talked about it maybe a week or two ago or within the past couple of weeks at some point or another, we had said that it feels like maybe that spot next to him is open, assuming that they're going to maybe move on from Bryson, and then you'd have Riley Stillman as your seventh D. So there could be an opportunity there, but I think having Johnson in the fold now, you know, while I would say in terms of like organizational depth, excluding goalie when you're comparing like D and forward, like the D depth is less than the forward depth, but I don't think the situation is nearly as dire as some people have maybe been leading on with that in terms of our defensive depth. I mean, I'll just say as a starting point that having Darlene power and Samuelson as your kind of cornerstone foundational guys as your, you know, de facto, like one, two, three is about as good of a starting point as you can get. And 
there's a 99.99999% chance that all of these guys are going to be locked up for seven, the next seven plus years or six plus years, I should say, uh, at least moving forward after the eventual extensions for Darlene and for power. And so when it comes down to it, you really only have a limited number of spots that you need to fill there. And obviously you want to have that depth so that you can have as many options as you can. Of course, there's other avenues you can go to bring in more of the, you know, defensive talent on the roster and even through the prospect system. But when you look at it now, I mean, Johnson is a legitimate piece here. You also have Komarov, which they also had signed him to his ELC recently. And I think that that's an additional piece there. That's like a legit real defenseman. I mean, you have Mats Lindgren too, who is currently playing in the CHL. <laughs> Excuse me. And there's other guys too, who are a little bit maybe further down. I mean, you know, further down the way in terms of the, the general prospect pool where you have some intriguing pieces there. And so I think that, as we're approaching the draft, you know, one of the things that we're going to hear a lot about as it's now only about three or so weeks away is, Oh, do the Sabres have to go D here, you know, in the draft, there should be maybe a, a one or two capable guys who are going to be available then, um, you know, at that spot at 13, you know, do they have to do that? And I think just, again, given the the overall setup here, absolutely not. Now, I think you and I are both in agreement that when it comes to the NHL draft in general, the mentality should be best player available, but in very dire situations, you could see a team maybe trying to make a pick for the best player available to fit that positional need or whatever you want to say. But I think generally speaking though, the Sabres do not and should not feel forced into a corner to take a D because now getting Johnson under contract, Komarov turning into something a little bit more here, you know, again with the Russians as well, we had talked about, it seems like they're in a very good position. I should say a, a pretty good position when it comes to their defensive depth. Would you agree? Yeah, because I know that they don't have a ton of prospects that are seemingly going to be NHL ready. But like you mentioned there, starting with Power, Dellin, and Samuelson means that you're pretty close. Like to, that, that's three of the six guys you have to put on the ice in a given night. And yeah, depth is always good and, and you want depth. But what if you have... Like, it, it, what if things go the way they seem they're going, where you can just, you can play Darlene 20 something minutes a night and play Power 20 something minutes a night on separate pairs. And then you just fill them in with a third pair via free agency or every once in a while, maybe a trade or whatever. Like, shit, you have like Labushkin and Stillman are fine for a third pair. You have them right now under contract. Yep. Uh, yeah, the long term, like, you want more guys to come up through the system. Novikov was the other one. His name was slipping. I said Russian before, but Nikita Novikov is the other uh, prospect I was talking about there too for the Russians. Sorry. Right, right. So if, if, yeah, but it like, it is nice still to have Ryan Johnson there to have him sign just in case. So, well, also just, you know, as someone who could potentially be a decent NHL player, I guess we'll see. He technically is first round pick uh, pedigree, but yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. If, if they were worse at the NHL level, I'd be more worried, but they just so happened to win the lottery twice <laughs> when two of the best recent, uh, defense prospects were going first overall. So that's good. And like, to your point, no, I don't think they should be boxed into taking the defenseman 13, 13th overall, right? Yeah. 13th, 13th overall. Yeah. Uh, because regardless, you won't see that guy pretty soon. Anyway, it's going to take multiple years. And if there's a better forward available, like I, I, I've heard this is a much better forward draft than defensive draft uh, kind of like 2015. So go with that guy then. Whoever that Agreed. is. Agreed. Yeah, the, the top defensive prospect this year is David Reinbacher, and he's a right-hand defenseman, which would obviously be great for the Sabres positionally, but it is very unlikely that he makes it outside of the top 10. 
So when you get a little bit further down, a lot of the names that are being thrown around right now, another right-handed defenseman, but he's a little bit smaller, more offensively inclined, would be Axel Sandin Palika, who is a Swedish defenseman. However, one thing that I do want to talk about when we start talking about draft things more, that people have been throwing the idea around about, and I am very, very much in favor of it, is if he slips to, like, say, like, sixth overall or beyond, moving up to go get Mishkov. I I think that there's a longer conversation to be had on this and we can definitely designate a segment to it. Maybe we'll get somebody on to chat about it a little bit more, but I mean, the Sabres have a really, really solid amount of depth right now among their forward group. We're already, you know, it's June and we're already talking about roster battles next year and that they're, you know, heralded prospects in Savoy and Kulik may not even be, able to crack the roster next year due to some of the guys that they already have in place right now, all of which I'd say most of them actually are very young. Mishkov has, I believe two or three more years left on his contract in the KHL, which would kind of perfectly position you that if you were to do that, you can go these next couple of years without him break through to the playoffs because you don't, it's not like a necessity that you need him this year to get him, get you over the hump or really moving forward. But if you're telling me that the Sabres are going to be a playoff contending team this year, these next few years, and then you can bring in a superstar winger prospect on an ELC getting two to three more years of development in the KHL and then being able to come over. I mean, that is dangerous stuff right there for these sabers and i would think very very long and hard about giving up some capital to really do that i mean obviously you're not going to do anything crazy but if we're talking about maybe moving up like seven spots we'll call it we'll say that move up to six potentially i don't know what that would take i definitely don't think it would take an additional first round pick to do that i think that between if you were to do something with 39 and then maybe you throw in a prospect or something like that and move up. That is absolutely a guy that would warrant that level of a jump, that package to move up and go and get for what he can ultimately provide to this team. I don't know if you have anything you want to share on that, but that's something maybe we can save for an upcoming episode as we lead up to the draft. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like last year at this time, people were talking about Bedard Mitchkoff as one, two. So was it really just the playing in the KHL for two more years? That's, cooling people on Mitchkov? Yes, pretty much. That's a big part of it. Yeah, that it's like two to three more years that he's under contract. I'll double check while we're recording here and confirm that. But I think that is definitely a a, a big, if not the main part of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in that. If they have the capital to move up, so why not? So I'm saying for that level of a guy, it's not very often that somebody like that's going to come around in a situation like this where you're as well positioned for success without this guy that taking it into the, I mean, come on, like <laughs> I'll put it this way for, uh, for comparison's sake. When Minnesota was able to bring Kaprizov over, they were not as good of a roster as what the Sabres are looking at right now. Also, we just, very quickly, I know we're switching gears here quite a bit. This Cole Caulfield extension that he's getting paid more than Tage and Dylan Cousins. A lot of money, Montreal. And it's funny, I just literally saw someone being like, oh, you got an offer sheet like 
for Cole Caulfield. You can't just let Montreal get him at a low price. And it's like, yeah, you can let him. Yeah. A low price, quote unquote, 8 million a year. If he ends up being great, whatever, he ends up being great. That's, it doesn't seem like he's going to be a great player right now. It seems like he's going to be a good player. And in addition to that, uh, do you know what an offer sheet costs you? If you like $8 million, that's like a first, a second, and a third. First, second, and a third to take a risk on that contract. Let them do that. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very true. Should we hear a word from our sponsors today before we move on? Yep. So, for starters, DraftKings Sportsbook. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age will vary by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash hockey terms. All right. Next sponsor is Thin Man Brewery. And folks, Thin Man has a big event coming up June 17th. So that's next Saturday. It is their summer solstice, which is actually their seventh anniversary party. Seven years old already. Can you believe it? They haven't had something like this in a while because of COVID and, and things like that. But before that, it was always a big event. Uh, block party on that block of Thin Man, like directly in front of, uh, uh, sorry, that block of Elmwood, not that block of Thin Man, the block of Elmwood directly in front of Thin Man. Uh, and people, there's going to be a lot going on throughout the day. It runs from noon to eight. Uh, Brendan's performing there, among other uh, attractions. You can also, there's VIP tickets on sale if you're interested in that. All that information's at thinmanbrewery.com. A couple other things. Uh, this Friday, they have a double IPA called Tangerine Bliss coming. It looks interesting. Eight mm. percent. So you know, be careful. Maybe you only have a few of those. But um, uh, yeah, that's interesting. They just dropped that, so that'll be out on Friday. They of course celebrated uh, Pride this weekend uh, with the the Pride Parade, and then uh, what else have they got going on? They have oh, uh, celebrating Pride. They also have their uh. Daddy Chill Margarita Ghosts, 4.8, brewed in collaboration uh, with friends at Daddy's Plants and 26 Allens. So uh, according to Thin Man, it smells like a pineapple uh, under the sea. So it's lime, orange, and pineapple, uh, and it's a beer that tastes like a margarita. So check that out. Uh, yeah, and then anything else you want to mention about uh, Thin Man? You take us to summer solstice. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, I should also say they have a uh, their seventh anniversary IPA called the Summer Solstice. Uh, hazy IPA. So check that out. And again, tickets available at thinmanbrewery.com. I'll be there. Brandon will be there. And again, if you buy a VIP ticket, you get to ask Yvonne, our friend Yvonne, sales director at Thin Man, uh, to tell you one story about being in New York City during the aughts. And it has to be a wild story. Don't let him tell you any bullshit stories. Well said. Well said. We have contracts too that he's already signed or reportedly will sign to agree to this. Yeah, if you don't like the story, you get you get another story. Perfect. I think that's a very fair exchange. All right. Should we talk about some Stanley Cup? 
playoffs now the stanley cup final here between the vegas golden knights and the florida panthers with the, the vegas golden knights taking a one to nothing lead against the panthers ahead of the game two matchup on monday night yeah i actually was busy watching the bandits so i did not watch much of any of this game that is quite all right i was at the bandits game so i too did not get a chance to watch much of this game however like we said before everybody game two coming up tonight Monday night, 8 p.m. in Vegas, Florida, looking to tie up this series. Taylor, please don't tell me Jack Eichel is going to do the thing. Uh, I don't know. I'm not in charge of this, but it sure feels to me like Vegas is going to win. And I got to say, I think this is being under discussed right now. Uh, Aiden Hill would be the most random goalie to win the Stanley Cup ever ever and also the fact that he's a huge reason why they're going to win it's not like he was just there he's not like 2010 Niemi. he's a he like was unbelievable against the stars he's really good against the oilers and he's good again on a saturday night so they're going to play again tonight so you'll probably already well actually when is this when's this episode going to drop in? this it's afternoon drop, or it's dropping this afternoon oh okay so yeah it, it's kind of insane right because there's there's been weird ones like the, the there's always the anton kudobin one from a couple years ago that felt very strange, even in the moment, but they lost, so that doesn't count, I guess. There's also, I would compare Bobrovsky to Carey Price a couple of years ago, like you thought he was done, but then like, oh shit, he's he's still got the old guy, still got a little bit in the tank. Mm-hmm. But man, I just the goaltending thing, like even though people think like, hey, you know, maybe uh, any goalie could get hot in the playoffs or blah blah blah, it's random. Really, not that random. Like, really not that random at all. Like, looking after Niemi on it, and Niemi was, an okay, Niemi was around forever. He's an okay goalie, just not great. You had Tim Thomas, all-time performance. He was like a Hall of Fame-level goalie that just didn't – he didn't get good till too late in his career. You had Jonathan Quick, borderline Hall of Famer. I don't know if he'll make it. You have Corey Crawford, definitely not a Hall of Famer, but he was solid as hell for multiple years. Uh, he won two cups. Quick obviously won two. You had Matt Murray. That feels a little random in hindsight. Matt Murray won two in a row, but Matt Murray was actually good for a couple of years when he was younger. So mm-hmm. he at least was, he's going to end up playing a decade plus in the NHL as a starter. And then you have Braden Holpe, really good goalie for multiple years. Jordan Pennington, eh, not a great goalie, but kind of, he's a guy. He kind of, he came on the scene quick, but he also, he came on the scene in like January of the year they won the cup, not in the middle of the second round. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, then after that, you have two Vasilevsky cups. And last year you have Darcy Kemper, who Vasilevsky Hall of Famer, Darcy Kemper, solid guy behind a great team. You never have a guy that just like kind of pops up in the middle of the second round who like, frankly, he played in the regular season, but he would Aiden Hill have played for anyone this regular season. If Vegas didn't need a goalie like Vegas made that trick. Yeah. I think Leonard, he would have, he would have got a job somewhere. I think the Logan Thompson trade forced them to do that, but he would have gotten a job somewhere, I think. I think it was the Leonard injury that forced them to trade for Hill. Or, yeah, excuse me. Sorry, not Leonard. Or uh, not Tom- – well, Thompson obviously ended up getting hurt, and then Hill was filling in for him. So, yeah, it was the Leonard injury. Sorry about that. I misspoke there. Yeah, interesting. People have said, I- like, Bruce Cassidy is like a goalie whisperer because, like, how good goaltending was in Boston too under him. <laughs> However, I would say goaltending stayed good under – yeah. Boston even got better this year. So I don't know, maybe who knows? Can I throw something out there at you? So Frank Saravelli 
uh, had posted today that Matt Larkin put together a piece for Daily Faceoff outlining seven trade destinations to watch for for Connor Hellebuck. And for one, a little bit weird that the Sabres were not on that list. I was a little bit surprised by that. Um, But a team that was on there, and granted, I don't know how surprising it should be, just considering the fact that they're, I feel like, every big-name guy they are seemingly in on, quote-unquote, but there was a name on there that I thought was a team on there, and that was Vegas, that Vegas might try and be in on Hallibuck. If that were to happen, would there not be a more perfect scenario for the Sabres than to maybe try and make a run at Logan Thompson? Because he signed for two Ooh, more years. Yeah, absolutely. Signed for two more years, 23-24 and 24-25. He is young. He's only 26 years old. He showed some pretty impressive play for Vegas when he was healthy this year. And obviously last year as well, really stepping up for them after Lanner went down. That's a guy that I think, I mean, if Vegas were to take this big swing and they were to go after Hellybuck, I don't know if they will or not. I don't know the likelihood, but that could be an interesting one. I know people have brought up the fact that Aiden Hill is going to be a UFA this year, but if he ends up winning a cup, I don't know if I want to sign on for that because you just don't know if it's a fluke, honestly. And it's just, it it could be a lot to invest in. Granted, he might end up getting like a short deal somewhere to see like, okay, let's see if you can do this again now for like a year or two and see what kind of numbers you can put up or if you can do it at a consistent level and actually be a starter. But Logan Thompson, I think would be very, very intriguing if for whatever reason, Vegas were to go out and try and take a big swing and bring in Hallibuck. I don't know. I'm going to look at Cat Friendly real quick because I feel like that should be impossible. You would think they're going to have to send a big salary back, right? Uh, someone could be expiring. I don't know. Actually, let me take a look. And because... it would be for whatever their, their cap looks like in 24, 25. Cause that's when an extension would, would eventually kick in too. Exactly. So. You figured that they would do that to extend him. Uh, oh, God damn it. There we go. All right. Wow. I, I don't, how are they going to do this? I'm looking right now. They have so much money committed. Well, first of all, they still are paying. They still Leonard is not a free agent. Leonard would come back next year mm-hmm. and make five million. So would they have to send Leonard back in the trade? Granted, he'd have to be healthy at that time. I would think that would probably uh, be a Nolan Patrick. They have. Yeah, let's see. Hill obviously is a free agent. Uh, Thompson is signed for a couple more years, very cheap. Brassois and Quick are both UFAs. And then, like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm looking at this. P- Petrangelo is signed next year. Uh, Martinez, Theodore, McNabb, White Cloud. They're all under contract next season. Nicholas Hag, Ben Hutton. And then forward-wise, they have Eichel, Stone, Carlson. Marchessault has one year left. Maybe they don't Marchessault. His value is probably the best it's going to be after how well he's been playing. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, he's... I mean, Jack Eichel will probably win the Consmite, unfortunately, if Vegas wins, but I think Marcus would be a good candidate for it. But none of these guys are UFAs. Riley Smith is in the UFA. Nicholas Roy, Chandler Stevenson, all these guys have at least one year left. Well, and I should say, too, I, I know I kind of alluded to it before, but essentially the premise for them doing it in the article was the fact that Lander's health is unknown. Thompson was hurt so much this year, and kind of the main driver of it was, well, would you put a pass McCrimmon to make a move like this? Which I think to a certain degree is valid, but 
I don't know how much stock you want to really put in that in terms of like how much sense it makes. So just something I thought it was a little bit interesting though, and kind of got the the wheels turning a little for some maybe outside the box or outside of the the names that we've kind of been throwing around as potential options for next year. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're always in on everything, but this just gets, it's, it just seems very hard for them to be able to pull this off. I agree. I agree. All right, Taylor, do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share before we sign off? Mm, I don't think so. Lovely. That sounds great. Do you? Well, I don't either. So everybody, with that being said, thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows. And make sure you're following both the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo on social media, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, wherever you're listening to this episode right now, make sure you are subscribed and or following Straight Up Sabres, and we'd very much appreciate it if you'd leave us a nice little rating or review. And last but not least, make sure you're checking out both of our sponsors. First, we have DraftKings and using that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. And of course, Thin Man Brewery, head to their website now and get those tickets for Summer Solstice. It's going to be a great time. Come hang out with us. So we're looking forward to seeing you then. Hope everybody has a great start to their week. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sabres.